Join us and unwind with a good book. Welcome to Relaxing Reads. Hi, I'm Deb in Halifax. I'm Simone in Vancouver. And hey, I'm Tanya in Edmonton, and this is my first adventure into the Breeze Book Club. And I am so excited for Deb and Simone to invite me along. So yeah, let's get going. We are so excited to have you. Yeah, yeah, welcome. Welcome, Tanya. As soon as we found out you were a book lover, I was like, she has to be a part of this. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I think I mentioned that I've got about, you know, four or five books going on my bedside table. <laughs> so yeah, my only issue is like, don't fall asleep while I'm reading the book. That's my thing. <laughs> I know it's such a relaxing thing to do and it's hard when you're in a good book and then you're kind of, you're doing it before bed, but it's, it's perfect. So welcome to the team. Thank you. So our latest read by Amy McCullough is a high altitude thriller that will truly take your breath away. It's called Breathless. Cecily Wong is in over her head. She's come to Manaslu, the eighth highest peak in the world, to interview world-famous mountaineer Charles McVeigh on the last leg of a record-breaking series of summits. She's given up everything for this story. Her boyfriend, her life savings, the peace she's made with her climbing failures of the past, but it's a career-making opportunity that could finally put her life back on track. When one climber dies in what everyone else assumes is a freak accident, she fears their expedition is in danger. And by the time a second climber dies, it's too late to turn back. She's stranded on a mountain in a remote region and has quite the battle for survival against a killer who is picking them off one by one. (laughs) How are we all feeling after it? Well, I just didn't know what to expect at first. You know, I, I'm not one to read a lot of thrillers. Like, I'm totally rom-com beach reads. But as soon as I picked this one up, it had me hooked. I couldn't get through it fast enough. I I actually love thrillers. I mean, I love the rom-coms. But the thrillers as well just kind of, it gets me hooked because I'm always trying to see if I can figure out who did it? And so as you kind of turn each page, gives you a little bit you know, more clues where it's like, oh, I didn't know that that happened. I thought it was this person. So I find them a lot of fun to read. And certainly this book had me from like the first couple of pages. I was just going through it. So yeah, it's yeah. awesome. It was a very intense read, but a quick one. Mm-hmm. And uh, my gosh, I have some great respect for the, the power of nature, the mountain, and those adventurers who were leading themselves, I guess, to discover some inner strength. Absolutely. I think it was something, you know, I, I always love to dig into books of um, things that I know nothing about. And certainly, you know, I am not a mountain climber. And so to kind of get into the book and and get inside the characters and each one has their own experience of you know of why they wanted to go and then their experiences as they're going up the mountain and i just thought their stories were so compelling and um and i really got attached to them and sort of what what was happening inside of them and it, and i thought about it and i thought you know it's one against the mountain but it's also in this book you kind of find out that it's It's you against yourself as you're taking on this momentous task of getting up this mountain. It was just like, you know, every page was like a was a a real page turner for me. And I wanted to know what was going to happen to each one of the characters. 
the characters were so great and I love how descriptive it was. Like I could almost sometimes taste the meals and the warmth of them going down, like the tea every time they had tea. Cause I'm like, Ooh, I feel cold yeah. when her lips are yeah. blue and she's feeling the chills. Like I want some warm tea. And I'm like, I'm not on the mountain, but it was just so descriptive. Like there were times I could place myself there and almost feel it. Yeah. All the good along with all the fear that's constantly surrounded them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the the the, the way Amy wrote it was just so visceral, right? Like like you said, Simone, you could like you could taste the tea. You know, you could almost feel how cold her fingers were getting and, you know, getting into that sleeping bag and still not really being warm, even though she had like a big snowsuit on. I mean, gosh, these Edmonton winters can be pretty brutal but (laughs) so I kind of went okay (laughs) I know what it's like to get into my car when it's minus 30 and the seat doesn't move I can't imagine you know what she was going through because it's such a horrible feeling to be cold and so I kind of shivered along with her as she was going through her journey and the breathing I was finding that I had to create my own breathing technique to to move along as as she was in the tent and then facing the elements again. And every step she took, um, you know, was, am I going to make it? Am I going to make a mistake? And not just a mistake for myself, but a mistake that will affect everybody else around me. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. So the lack of oxygen at the high altitudes is said to cause, of course, hallucinations and delusions. Was there ever a point in the novel when you considered that might be the case with Cecily's increased paranoia, Simone? Yeah, definitely. There were moments where, you know, she would bring up the story of her past and and Snowden and things like that. And I thought she's just, you know, reverting to things that have happened to her when she first saw that tent on the mountain. I was like, she's dreaming. Things are going on. And when she would bring it to her team or talk to Doug about it, like they would all just look at her like you're making no sense. And I there were times my mind was pacing, thinking this is all in her head. What if she's the person that's going on the mountain and doing all these crazy things yeah. and she has no idea and she's just she's just tripping out that's totally you know what i thought and um i think those were it like when she was first starting to see things and then nobody else was really seeing them like you know when we get to kind of the middle near the end other people are starting to notice things or there's robberies and things happening but at first i totally was like she's not used to this and she's totally hallucinating yeah how about you tanya yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think it was for me, um, I was always thinking about her journalistic um, mind, you know, and, and always wanting to get to the bottom of a story. So I always kind of was thinking of her character in that terms of, of she, you know, she's an inquisitive person. And when she sees stuff, her mind just kind of goes, I got to get to the bottom of this. And I'm going to just, you know, push, push, push to try to get to to see what's going on. So yeah, I was thinking about sort of what she was going through in terms of the outside world. And then I was also thinking about, you know, she's a journalist. And you know, because her ex-boyfriend James was, you know, he was like the he was the writer, right? And he was the one who should have got this article. But Charles chose her. And I always I always thought, you know, she is so determined to 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 write the best story ever and prove to everybody, you know, since that, you know, momentous failure at Snowden that she couldn't get to the summit, you know, she was trying to prove to everybody, but also trying to prove to herself 
that she could not only get up that mountain, but she could also write the most amazing story ever. And so I always thought that that was something sort of pushing her um, and and also the effects of, you know, one third of the oxygen <laughs> that, you, <laughs> that you're going up there. I, I can't even imagine, you know, talking about how the author uh, uh, was describing, you know, how you breathe. And it's like, it's not that you're suffocating. It's just that the oxygen isn't there in the way that you thought it was. So, yeah, definitely that was affecting what was going on as well. But I was sort of really going towards the the sort of the the fierce woman um, and, and writing, writing the best book because she really did scoop that with with the main character of Charles McVeigh and getting that interview. You know, so I thought that was sort of a real driving force with her. Yeah, I have to agree. I was thinking more on the journalistic side in the beginning when she started out and that she really wasn't seeing things or hallucinating at that particular point. She was just trying to jot everything down in her memory and kind of focus on how is it going to piece together? What what am I going to get out of this? Because I, I so need this story. But then when they started, to, you know, the trek, then you could definitely see mm-hmm. that things were changing. Yeah, each step they took. Now that we we all know who the killer is. What's the first clue or revealing character trait that you might have missed? Simone? I don't know. I don't think I picked it up <laughs> at all along the way that it was him. I was yeah. like, it's Grant. It's that Dario guy. It's going to be Doug. And then, you know, I don't know, like looking back, like it was odd that he wasn't a part of the journey from the beginning and that he was going to show up later. So I think in those moments, I kind of thought, okay, well, why, where is he? What's he doing? But then I thought, what would be his motive? Like he's the big star. He wouldn't want to be, you know, the person doing all this. And then we later, obviously at the end, find out his reason for it. But he never crossed my mind until it was pretty much obvious that it was him. Yeah, we were yeah, I, characters. I, <laughs> we were. There's like one death and then another one and then another one. I, you know, I was sort of keeping tabs because again, like I said, I, I love, I love thrillers and mysteries. And so I was going, okay, I think it's this person. And then all of a sudden, no, no, it's this person. And then, so I felt like Amy was throwing up a bunch of red herrings in a way, right? Like she was, yeah. she's like, kind of giving little things you know when when uh is it dario or what was that yeah dario started whistling it's like oh, he's whistling what is he whistling mm-hmm. you know that that's the guy you know and i know it at, in the middle of the book i made a note to myself that it was you know that guy and uh and i don't know why i, <laughs> I wow. wish i would have written down yeah. why i thought because that was my very first thought it was him and maybe it was because he was so detached Right from the very beginning, you know, it's like he's there, he's there getting them sorted out. And then it's like, yeah, I got all this admin stuff that I have to do and see you guys later. Right. And it was just like, oh, yeah. he was never part of the group, you know, and I thought there's mm-hmm. something, something up with this guy. Like, why wouldn't he be involved in everything? And uh, he's quite the showman. I thought that he'd be, you know, up there and like showing people, oh, look at me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I don't know whether there is any specific traits. It was just an inkling that I got. And actually, when I was making my notes, as I was kind of going through it, his name popped up about two, two or three times before the end. And we finally realized, you know, who it was. So, yeah, I love it when books kind of throw a bunch of stuff at you and you have to figure it out as a reader. <laughs> yeah, we're going on our mm-hmm. own adventure. <laughs> yes, I, um, absolutely. 
And I was like you, Simone, I really wasn't cluing in or thinking that it might be him either until it was pretty obvious. But then looking back, I thought, well, he was pretty flippant, um, you know, over some of the deaths of the climbers as, um, you know, we we were learning more about who was involved in, in expeditions and, um, you know, what what we all wanted to find out about about him. He was pretty arrogant and it had an ego, but there were a lot of those minds up there on the mountain. Um, and, and then, of course, I guess there was manipulation, you know, making everyone believe that he really was an incredible human, the hero or the idol on the mountain. So for me, it did take me a, a little while to, to clue into it. So murder and deception aside, does Amy McCullough want to make you... <laughs> attempt a sport as extreme as mountain climbing or just leave the thrills to your imagination. How about you, Tanya? Yeah, I think that, you know, I'm sort of an adventurous sort. And so I'm always looking at at doing some cool stuff. And and I really love to be outside. I mean, something this extreme, though, I don't, you know, I don't know whether I would have it in me to do. And, and, you know, one of the things I noted from the book um, is just the journey, the journey to get to, you know, over 8,000 feet. And basically one of the things was the acclimatization where they would go to base camp number one and then they would go, they would go three or four times on the same trail back and forth, back and forth to acclimatize. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, like I, I don't think I could do that, especially when they got to that, that wall of, of ice you know, where she was, you know, obviously having issues of, of getting up there. And like, she had to do that a couple times. And I thought, I don't know whether I could do it. Repeat, repeat. I think I'd have nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Simone? Well, there was a moment where I thought I could do it. And I walked into the living room and I told my husband, I'm like, you know what? I would like to climb a mountain one day. And he just looked at me because it came out of nowhere. <laughs> and then I realized once I got deeper into the book, that's not going to happen. I just remember one time flying into India and we were passing the mountain, the 8,000er mountain range. And they said, look out the window, there's Mount Everest. And I was like, wow, that is incredible. Like that is impressive to see. And I've had friends um, that I've known who have gone and, you know, gone up to base camp. So that's at about 5,000 meters. And I thought, okay, like that could be something that maybe one could achieve one day, like maybe along the way at some point. But I don't think I could ever plan to go to a summit like that part scares me just that again that lack of oxygen and all that I think you know for the photo op if you get to base camp it's kind of cool and being in the shadow of the mountain would be something I would love to do at some point but uh yeah like to get there and and what Tanya said like I didn't realize you have to repeat it I thought you kind of go to one camp you hang out for a bit you go to the next but that constant going back and forth and like feeling the exhaustion in this book uh, that part of it I was like no, this is probably not going to happen to me, uh, happen for me. And like yeah. here in Vancouver, we have the grouse grind. And it's, I think I looked it up because I was like, Everest is over 8,000 meters. And this is, um, the grouse grind is like 1,200 meters. And I did it once because it's like this big hike. And I was like, okay, I'm done. So I'm like, if I can't even, <laughs> if I can't even check that off. And that's like in the summer where it's nice weather in the trees. I'm like, I don't think the, the snow-capped mountain and ice and that 
whole situation would probably happen. So I'll just, yeah. I'll just, I'll, you know, you know, I'll enjoy it uh, through these books that that thrill um, that you get from reading them. Yeah, I, I'm with you too. I, I I've thought about that. I've had a friend. Um, she did Kilimanjaro quite a few years ago, and she was journaling along the way, and the emotions that you know, were brought out, she wasn't expecting, she knew it was going to be emotional, but she had no idea how it would really affect her on a day-to-day basis before she even, you know, started climbing or or meeting up with the other hikers or or climbers. Um, So I've always thought, looking through pictures and watching movies and reading, you know, something like Breathless, yes, I'm definitely game for this. And then the more you hear about it and the more you know and learn, the, I, I think, no, I can't. I, I, I'd i like to, you know, maybe watch people from afar uh, doing their climb. And uh, I, I don't know that I would be able to help anybody out um, because of the fears that I, I've created within my own mind or the fears that really do exist that I just don't have it in me to, to do do it and complete it. That's interesting that you, you talk about, uh, Deb, the fears in your own mind, because I think, I think maybe one of the themes of this book is sort of, you know, mind over matter. And it's like, um, you know, testing yourself to be able to do such an amazing feat and, and all the hurdles that are kind of thrown at you as you go along. And it really is a testament to, I don't even know what it is. It's, it's, is it character? Is it inner strength? Is it endurance? I don't know. Yeah. How do you find that belief or, you know, can you believe in yourself enough to get you through something so incredible? Yeah. I think we Hmm. all have that inner strength, but, but how do you navigate towards it or how do you bring it out in yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Tanya, you've uh, climbed a high mountain in Scotland. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yes, yes, I did. And actually, I I think I buried it away somewhere because as I was reading the book, I went, wait a minute. And she talked about Snowden. And then I remember I had I'd gone on a trip um, to Scotland and I ended up in all of Europe and I ended up in Scotland and ended up living there for quite some time. And just it just so happened that I got off a train and I was eating an O. Henry bar and there was a, a couple <laughs> that were kind of <laughs> seriously, there was a couple gearing up and uh, and I'm like, so, you know, what do you do? And they're like, well, we're going to go we're going to go climb Ben Nevis or Nevis. And uh, I went, oh, well, that's something that I would like to do because I had bought hiking boots, never worn them. So that is something you should never do <laughs> is travel and not wear your shoes before you go. So it was a couple from London and they were experienced, you know, they had climbed all of the bends in Scotland and this was one of them. And so I kind of tagged along with them, not really knowing what to expect. And and granted, it is not a very high mountain. Um, what did I say? It was like 1,600 meters or something like that. But what I was amazed by is um, the wind. I mean, you slowly, you gradually went up this mountain and then the wind would pick up and it would literally, like if you had a misstep, it was almost like it could blow you off the trail you're on, you know, and I just sort of copied the couple that were in front of me. They, they walked steadily. They had their hands behind their backs, which is kind of interesting. They lean forward and they just slow and steady wins the, wins the race, right? They just walked up that mountain and I went up with them, and from what I can remember, I remember getting to the top, and there was a flag, and we all stood there being batted, like, by the wind. It was just crazy, and then, you know, the walk down. So 
I can't imagine, you know, with Cecily, she's she's up there and it's like the cold and then that storm that blew in and it's just, yeah, wow. So I don't really have, <laughs> you know, mine was very, very small, but definitely I can imagine, I guess, in a way of, of what it would be like to have to climb something over 8,000 feet. Well, it's just 8,000 meters. Sorry. Yeah. And it's just that moment, even mm-hmm. for you, it's like you, you, there's this big challenge ahead of you. You completed it. You got to the summit. Mm-hmm. And um, even in the book, uh, when Cecily gets there at the top and, you know, she describes seeing the sunrise and all that, like that's, that's probably yeah. the moment that you're like, okay, I've done it all. And then you're like, oh, wait, I got to go all the way back down now. I was like, can there <laughs> not be a helicopter that could just take me to the top, take my Instagram photo no. and then bring me back down? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll take that chopper with you. <laughs> Danielle, you've got experience, so you can meet us at the top. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I didn't, I didn't know what I was getting into. <laughs> That's part of your initiation into the uh, book club there, here. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> so, what a great read. And again, it's one of those things. It was, it was an escape. I'm really mm-hmm. glad uh, we, we chose this one. I think, yeah, and a page turner. I think it. I think it makes you want to keep going just because of the, uh, the the characters, and you just you know, inquiring minds want to know. You know, I'm I'm like, who who is it? Who is it? Constantly wanting, testing myself to see if I can get it right. <laughs> so we have a few more questions about Breathless, and who better than to get the answers from the author herself, Amy McCullough, who joins us. Hello, this is Amy speaking. Hi, Amy. It's Simone, Deb, and Tanya from the Relaxing Reads podcast. We are thrilled to have you join us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. We all absolutely loved the book and have a few questions for you. And Deb, we'll start. So Amy, you probably didn't realize after writing the book that you would leave us all breathless, did you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you had that reaction, though. (laughs) <laughs> every every step of the way. Now, I, I want to know, have you always had an adventurous spirit in you, a love for challenges and, and not just the little ones? Are you a fan of high risk and living on the edge? <laughs> well, do you know what? If you had asked me this question five years ago, I would have said no. Uh, I had never even set foot on a mountain um, until t- uh, the beginning of 2018. So it was really a, a new kind of activity hobby for me as well to kind of see where I could go in in the mountains um so I've I've always loved traveling and I've loved exploring new places and getting inspiration for my writing but yes in terms of these kind of high risk and a lot of suffering when it comes to these kind of activities that I've chosen to do the mountaineering these kind of activities um they're pretty new to me and what has been or is the biggest challenge as a mountaineer? Is it the physical side, the emotional? And really, after, after doing what you've done in these climbs, um, is there anything that you won't conquer now in your life? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the most difficult part for me probably, I mean, it is a real uh, physical endurance test. So, uh, you know, you're really putting pushing your body to its limits because you're spending a month living at a base camp where, you know, that you're, there's only 50% of the oxygen that you would normally breathe at sea level, except you're, you're, you know, that's where you're sleeping, you're eating, you're resting and relaxing. So even though it's not that high up the mountain, you know, that is still a place that you're, you know, you're camping on a glacier, so there's no running water. All these things sort of wear away at you um, 
you know, at your physical ability, but also through your kind of emotional and mental state. Um, and then the, and then the climbing itself. I mean, I, uh, I absolutely love the, the kind of, I love kind of seeing where my body can take me and, and really pushing myself to the limit. And, and on the summit day, when you are up at midnight and you're going towards the summit, that was my favorite part of the whole thing because, you know, I would never have believed in all my life that I would be nearing the top of the eighth highest mountain in the world, you know, in the death zone, uh, and there I was. Um, but the problem with reaching the top uh, is that you then have to make your way back down again, and you've already been climbing for four or five days, and you're so, so exhausted, and you kind of mentally checked out because you made the summit, but you're not you're not safe until you're down and safe. You know, you're not, your job is not done as a mountaineer until you're back. Uh, at base camp safe and sound so definitely the coming down was the most challenging part and I think that's reflected in the novel as well yeah I think that's one thing we just kind of talked about in our discussion that we were you know none of us are mountaineers uh, but uh, we were surprised that you have to kind of go up come down go up come down and do so many rotations I thought you know in your head when you don't know much about this world you think you'll get to one camp climatize for a bit get to the next one so that part of it just seems way even bigger of a challenge yeah I mean that's something that I I hadn't really reckoned with until I started um, into mountaineering. Uh, but it is quite amazing how your body does adapt to those really quite hostile environments. You know, the, I remember the first time walking to Camp One, uh, you know, being fresh to the mountain. Uh, my body hadn't acclimatized to, to the lack of oxygen. And I remember reaching the first sort of yellow tent of Camp One. And then um, Nims, who was leading us, saying, oh, no, our camp's where we're where we're sleeping for the night, still another 20 minutes away. And I thought I was done at that point, and I just burst into tears. You know, I, I just didn't think I could possibly walk another 20 minutes at that point. I was, you know, I was fresh out of energy. Um, but then the second time I came up to Camp One, you know, I made it all the way up there in almost half the time it took me the first, the first time around. So it really is amazing how the body adapts, and it, it's definitely a requirement when you're, you're up at those altitudes. Wow, I bet. So w- would you compare your journey, your climb, to some sort of a, a pilgrimage with a, a spiritual element to it? I mean, I guess your mind is playing games with you all along the way. It, it really is. I think what I fell in love with, um, well, the reason that I fell in love with mountaineering is that because you have to be so present. And I got that from regular walking. You know, I, um, the reason I kind of set off on this whole journey was uh, I went through a really kind of seismic change in my life. I was going through um, something really difficult. I was getting divorced after only being married for a year and my whole kind of life was changing. You know, I really thought my life was headed in one direction and then all of a sudden kind of the the ground fell, fell below my feet and I didn't know where I was going or what to do next. And I, and I turned to walking initially, just putting one foot in front of the other um, and I, I went to Ireland and walked um, a trail called the Kerry Way, which is the longest waymark trail in Ireland. Uh, and I did that, and I was really amazed. That was the first kind of long-distance thing I'd ever done. And what I loved about it was how present you have to be. You know, you can't be thinking about um, your social media. You can't be thinking about uh, the future too much. You have to be really kind of present and, and, and aware of your surroundings and, and know what you're doing. And I, I really um, found that kind of a meditative, you know, so up in the mountains and seeing the incredible scenery in Nepal uh, 
and just really having to focus my mind, it, it, it really did help me um, kind of achieve things I never thought possible. That's oh, wonderful. And it's such a, it is such a spiritual place up there. I mean, you know, we participate in what's known as a puja, which is a sort of a Buddhist ceremony um, led by one of the um, lamas that they bring in from, from the nearby village to kind of ask the mountain, you know, to provide us safe passage while we're climbing and it's a requirement, whichever of the big mountains that you that you do in the Himalayas um, or in the Karakoram, and it's a really moving ceremony, and it just really grounds you in the place where you are. You know, surrounded by the tallest mountains on earth, and also the bluest sky you'll ever see, because you're that much closer to the the, the atmosphere. You're that much closer to the universe. The there's some scientific explanation about how the light scatters differently there, but it makes the blues so intense and so rich. And honestly, seeing that makes everything, the whole suffering, all of the endurance, all of the pain worthwhile for me. Wow. Okay, and Amy, so maybe uh, I'll keep it on my list of to-dos. <laughs> <laughs> and just as you talk about the uh, the what you're seeing, Amy, I felt like that was all through your book. I mean... We really were with you as you were going up that mountain, and, and particularly when, when you got to almost the summit and you described exactly what you're, what you're talking about, the blue sky mm-hmm. and you saw the sunrise, I could mm-hmm. almost see it. It was just breathtaking for me. <laughs> well, well, thank you. I mean, I really wanted to kind of transport my readers to, to Nepal, and, and it is somewhere, I mean, I, when I was climbing Manaslu, um, you sign up to the Himalayan database, which I also mention in, in the, the book, and um, they have a whole list of everyone who's climbed the mountain. And when I signed up, I was only the sixth Canadian woman in history to ever have been up there, to ever have climbed this mountain, and, and the youngest Canadian um, to, to do so. So this is a place where not many, very many people get to go. And I know I had you know, such a privilege to be able to be there and in good weather conditions and, you know, just have that perfect moment. And so I actually did sit down in the death zone to write a bit of the... Of wow. The, I, was, I, was oh. really, I was trying to capture those emotions and, and, and what I was seeing um, at that time kind of on the page right while I was there. Um, although what I wrote is quite funny because I was obviously lacking a bit of oxygen because my writing kind of... <laughs> Veers down the page <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> but I'm glad it came across it in the book, kind of transporting transporting you there to the to, to Nepal. <laughs> and Amy, when you were talking about um, how you've had this this life change, and then you started walking, and then you just mm-hmm. discovered how you just really need that focus. Um, is that sort of where the "be bothered" statement comes from? Where you said the moment you stop caring is the moment you've lost your ability to climb. Where did that come from? Yeah, that came from the mountaineering training that I was that I did before going out to Manaslu. Uh, I was out in the mountains in Wales, in Snowdonia, tra- training one on one with a guide who had been out to the, the big mountains all the time, and I was kind of trying to grill him for any kind of tips to help me uh, once I got out there. As I said, this is something very new to me. I was really, I mean, throwing myself in the deep end here by by going from never having climbed a mountain to attempting an 8,000-meter peak in in a sort of three-year period. And uh, I, I was kind of trying to find out what was his best piece of advice. And the one thing that he kept saying to me is, you know, you have to be bothered at, at every moment, you know, whether it's 
your shoelace is untied. You have to stop and, and fix it. If you're, you know, before you feel thirsty, you have to keep remembering to drink. You know, be bothered to tackle these small problems so they don't become huge ones uh, at altitude when there are other much greater dangers that you're contending with. So that really just stuck with me. And it was something that um, I started to apply to other parts of my life, you know, whether it was just being bothered to, to get up and, and try and see a sunrise or get out and do some training or whatever it was, um, I tried to implement that be bothered kind of mantra in my life. And I just, I had to give that to my main character as well, because I knew that if someone like her, a relative novice, was going to to make such an adventure possible, she was going to have to be bothered about all those little things um, and kind of use that to propel her forward. Yeah, mind over matter, I guess, right? Especially when the oxygen isn't there. <laughs> to try to keep Definitely. yourself sorted, I would think. It, yes, it's, it's called your, your personal admin. So even things he would tell me, like if you're wear, you know, applying um, lip balm to your lips, because obviously you get, you get very um, sunburned up there or a lot of exposure to the sun, so you're all constantly applying sun cream and lip balm. And he said, just put it back in the exact same pocket. So he's like, in the middle of the night, when you're fast asleep at altitude at Camp 4, you know, you're, you're dehydrated, you haven't eaten much, you don't even have to open your eyes. You know, your hand knows, oh, my lip balm's right in that pocket. You can just pull it out, you know, smear some on, put it back, and, and you know always where everything is. Um, and just having those aware, you know, taking that moment just to try and make sure that things are where they should be, you know, that you're being bothered to fix all those little, little things and take care of them, um, you know, improves your chances of success in a place like that, um, you know, by an order, by an order of magnitude. Mm -hmm. Uh, Amy, I was wondering about one of one of the things your main character said was that the mountain changed people and it tested all your faculties. And she was commenting because, of course, Ben went and stole all the money from all the people that were going up the mountain. And it obviously it was a person she had, she didn't even recognize. So for yourself, how did the mountain and this experience change you? Well, I mean, I think that the mountain made me, well, it made me a more responsible person. I know that sounds kind of funny to say, but I, I, you know, I often found that I was kind of living my life so reliant on my devices, on other people, um, on the mountain, you have to, you really have to take responsibility for yourself. So no one, although you, although you're climbing with a team and, and I'm so grateful to Kasang, who was my Sherpa uh, on the mountain, uh, who, you know, was keeping an eye out for me. Ultimately, all of the decisions that I make um, while I'm on the mountain are on me. And I have to take that person, I had to take that personal responsibility on myself. And I kind of found that really empowering because I found that empowering for my life as well. I could think, you know, I can choose which direction I take my life in and I will make choices and, you know, I am responsible for those choices, however they turn out. Um, and I mm -hmm. found that really, um, yeah, you know, almost something I could skip kind of in my, in my everyday life. Sometimes I could make excuses for the choices that I made or, or say I was forced to do one thing or another or pushed in different directions. But, but when you're up there, um, you know, in that kind of environment where it is very high risk and you are putting your life on the line all the time because one false move, you know, one step in the wrong direction and you could be falling a thousand meters. Uh, you know, if you forget 
one time to clip into the safety line, you know, that could be that could be the end. It's that it's that thin of a line when you're at when you're doing this extreme high altitude mountaineering. Um, it really kind of forces you, like I said before, to kind of have focus on the present, but also to kind of take responsibility for yourself and to really um, own, take ownership of the decisions that you're making. And I found that really empowering, and I definitely apply it to to the rest of my life going forward. Yeah, that's amazing. And Amy, congratulations on being the youngest Canadian to summit Manaslu. <laughs> that's that's incredible, and it's just such a yeah a proud accomplishment. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I I had no idea when I set out there. It was only you know when I got back that the Himalayan database said, "Oh, you're the you're the youngest Canadian uh, woman to have done it." And I was like, "Oh, wow, that's that's amazing." Um, it's funny. It does seem like almost every <laughs> person has some kind of um, you know achievement that they want to check off while going there, and that was something I really wanted to kind of delve into the kind of psychology of that um, and who goes for these kind of missions and achievements out there on the mountain and what's what's on the line for people because there's a lot of ego on these big mountains and that was definitely something that um i experienced i encountered um that I wanted to explore in, in the book. One thing I loved about the book is that you brought, you know, of course, so much of your own experience to it uh, with details about the geography. I love the aspects of all the food and the culture of Nepal. Like you could almost mm-hmm. feel and experience being there, you know, like the moments that you were cold and the hot tea going down. I loved all of that. Now, do you have a desire to hit up another one of the 8,000ers? <laughs> well, um, I do and I don't. I mean, I would always love to do Everest. Um, it is something that is, is a goal of mine. Uh, the problem is is that, you know, it costs a lot of money to do Everest. I think it costs something like almost 100000 Canadian dollars to do a trip like that. Wow. Um, so it, it's probably something that's on the back burner for now because there are a few other mountains that aren't as well known um, as Everest uh, that I would love to do. And one of them is called Amadablam, which is just in front of Everest. Uh, if anyone does the Everest base camp trek, you will pass this mountain. It's, it's one of the most beautiful in Nepal. Um, it doesn't quite reach 7,000 meters, but that's still very high, and it's a little bit more technical, um, but very, very beautiful. And, of course, when you're at the top, if you have a nice day, you can see Everest uh, and some of the other big, big, big mountains that are out there. So I think I, you know, I, was, I, I feel so privileged to have been up into the death zone, and I feel like I have done that now and I can I can safely maybe not put my body and and my family through that kind of risk again but there are so many mountains and things that I want to see and explore in the world so I'll never say never but um but for the moment I'm setting my sight on slightly lower peaks Now, another thing I thought of, um, it's amazing that uh, you were on Nims Purba like a part of his expedition because, of course, he's done the 14 peaks in, in less than seven months, was it? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. And that documentary, obviously, his film was so successful. Do you uh, Have you discussed with anybody or do you see this becoming a series or a film? Because I, we, like, we all totally could envision that happening with this, with this novel. Well, hopefully from, from your lips to Hollywood's ears, I mean, I would love that to happen. Um, uh, nothing on the horizon at the moment, but obviously uh, that would be an author's dream come true. That would be amazing. Well, thank you so much, Amy. We all loved your book. And thank you so much for giving us your time today. Oh, It's been my pleasure, honestly, chatting to you all. Oh, thank you very much. You're very yes. inspiring. <laughs> very inspiring. Thank you, Amy. 
You're very welcome. Thank you for kicking back and relaxing with us. We hope you'll join us again on Relaxing Reads.